0: I've often said there's God, then there's Charles, then there's the rest of us, and I've never said that about anyone else. You know when you meet someone or work with someone and they just make you feel better? Charles Spearin is a founding member of Broken Social Scene and Do Make Say Think. He also lends his talents to such bands as Feist, the Gord Downie Band, Casey Accidental, The Valley of the Giants, and many, many more. Do Make Say Think was founded in 1995, and the one word I would use to describe them is vast. I remember seeing them at an old cinema on Bloor Street, and I was completely engulfed, both physically and mentally, in their huge waves of music. The band pushes the boundaries of instrumental extremes and basically takes you on a ride every song they play. I first met Charles in about 1996 at Holy Joe's, a small club at Queen and Bathurst. And for a short time, he played bass in my band. He's also a producer, engineer, and dabbles in pottery. This is Charles Spirin talking about Do Make Say Think's song, The Fair To Get There.
1: I had been in this uh, various. I had been in various bands for years since I was sixteen. I've been playing in bands, and uh, this would have been I would have been about twenty-five or twenty-four or something like that. Um, no, twenty. Let's see, I was born in seventy-two, so I would have been yeah, twenty-five-ish. And this uh,
0: this was the the self-release cassette that this was on, or the first kind of LP
1: it was a a self-released um uh cd we burned all the cds you know with those cdr recorders you know one by one yeah one by one (laughs) we made i don't know uh a hundred of them or something like that and then constellation picked it up uh, and uh, and approached us about re-releasing it so they released it officially in i and self-released in I think 96, maybe early 97, Um, but basically at the time um, do makes I think were essentially it was myself, uh, James Payment and Justin Small and we were all roommates uh, at this little apartment above Pizza Pizza on Blur Street there across from Lee's Palace and um, and it, it was Kind of a magical time. I had um, broken up with a girlfriend who I'd been with for four years, and uh, I didn't really have anything going on in my life other than playing in a few bands and doing sound for a few projects and things like that. Um, so when I moved in with Justin and James, we didn't have a television. We didn't, uh, you know, there was no internet back then. Yeah. Nobody had nobody had phones. Yeah, we had uh, little rotary up phone. And um, I had a Tascam 388, which is one of those reel-to-reel 8-track recorders with a built-in mixer. Uh, And it was, you know, the size of a desk. And um, when I moved in, I brought it, and I was kind of apologetic at first because it was so big it wouldn't fit in my bedroom. And I'm like, is it okay if we just put it in the living room? And it turned out to be the best thing ever because it's all we ever did. We would home or not go out whatever it was and we wouldn't we wouldn't watch television we would just throw on a reel pick up an instrument and start recording uh, we weren't writing songs and then recording them we would just spend all our time recording it was kind of a, an outlet it was our um, it was just it was just what we did um, and it what it what it that effect had on us of constantly expressing ourselves through music without any kind of real intention to making music it was just living in this process of, uh, of recording um, it took away all pressures in music entirely mm-hmm. like we're not trying to write some song that's going to impress somebody, no there's a little bit of that, you want to impress your friends who are sitting next to you but for the most part, it was just really allowed us to completely relax into the idea of making music, and not as a pressure situation, not as a, uh, uh, not even as a function. Like, it didn't have a purpose. You know, most music pe- people have, you know, there's dance music, there's, you know, whatever, mood music, like, my mother once described Do Make Say Think as, um, you can't, Dance to it. You can't sing along to it. You can't talk over it. And you can't remember it. I was like, "That's perfect." You know, that's like the the music really doesn't have a function. It was music that was kind of created from us in the most genuine way we could. Um, We weren't marketing it. Uh, Even the name of the band, Dumex, I think, was a kind of an anti-marketing tool. It's like we're not really interested in selling anything to anybody. Except being who we are, this is what we love to do. And uh, that um, that song, uh, "The Fair to Get There," in a way was our first song as a band. Really, we, I mean, it's debatable, but the first few shows we did were um, at uh, raves, like we'd play these giant oh, like, techno raves. Yeah. Uh, where, uh, you know, in the in the main room, there'd be, like, just, like, killer drum and bass, like, deafening uh, drum and bass, or the jungle, or house music, like, it was, it was, a lot of our friends uh, were in that world at the time, you know, it was uh, a lot of, um, sort of, the music scene at the time had kind of collapsed and turned into a DJ scene, like, I don't know if you remember Sneaky D's, shutting down the stage and turning into a nightclub where they had a DJ instead of having live bands. And that was kind of happening all throughout the city. There was this kind of, uh, sort of, uh, the end of live music. It's kind of, um, maybe exaggerated a bit because there are always tons of bands, but there was a sense of like, like uh, all the highest paying acts at the time were DJs, like LTJ Bookham coming in and playing for, you know, 30,000 people or something like that. Like just crazy, Shows. The rave
0: thing w- was huge at the time.
1: Huge, yeah. So that's um, that in a in a large way shaped our our sense of music as well.
0: Like, were you were you listening to that at home?
1: Sometimes, yeah. Uh, we listen to all kinds of stuff, but uh, yeah, definitely. Um, on the other side, Ohad and Dave, uh, Dave Mitchell. especially um, just in the sense that it didn't seem to have a beginning or an end, it's one of those things where it didn't... So much of music is, is built on the sense of anticipation and where is it going to go and, and this kind of, uh, uh, whether the anticipation is um, resolved or su- surprises you by taking somewhere else. But there's something about uh, being in a, like a rave situation where the music is constant and very similar the whole time you just kind of get yeah. into the music and it it's it's, uh, it's you're not really waiting for it to take you someplace it's you're living in the music rather than having this kind of pop music bridge chorus verse blah 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 um anyway they uh, Dave and Ohed were particularly into um um jungle so we we ended up connecting with uh, a bunch of uh rave promoters and um would set up in the chill out room, so anybody who was like way too high on MDMA or whatever would get the hell out of the drum and bass room and lie on the floor or on the couch and have do makes I think play very long peaceful drone music. Um, and this would you know it'd be like five o'clock in the morning. We'd be setting up, and essentially the fair to get there was kind of the uh, um, the basis for long chill out jams where um, we would play that and then segue into another song but the drone would never really stop we would take a, an old arp or a Moog keyboard and take down a couple of keys and let that <laughs> let that go for an hour and you know play um, as uh, kind of gently and um, i don't know um, sparsely As possible, there was no solos, no vocals, no real uh, structure to it, I guess. Um, So that's that's kind of where it was born from, and it and it really shaped the trajectory of the band, like the sense of not really having. And it was—it's interesting because we booked one gig in, in the first year. We booked a show at Lee's Palace, um, and then every week we were playing because somebody would invite us. Mm-hmm. So somebody came to the show and then invited us to play something else, and then we would get invited to play some other thing, and then somebody from the rave would invite us to play another rave. And so we were playing pretty much constantly for a year or two after that, wow. without any, you know, effort or without like writing to. I know. You <laughs> don't have to write to now magazine writers yeah. and say, please come and review our album. Please come to our show. None of that. It was just us being ourselves and um, the most kind of welcoming audience you could uh, ask for in a
0: way. Yeah, that's great. It, it's so interesting you say that because when I listened to it, I thought a lot of uh, Do Make, I things, later stuff, stuff I'm more familiar with, there's always a big release in it. Like really kick in and it's like powerful and stuff. But I was listening to this track. I was very, you know, it just never kicks in. It's almost like a tease, but it it is so relaxing at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, I felt that. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, once we got to kind of found our identity a little bit more, I think um, this uh, the first album was was really kind of more like a wiping the slate clean. What we're not, you know, we're not, we're not a pop band, we're not a rock band, we're not trying to get anybody's attention. This is, uh, you know, the most honest expression we can have. But then as you get further into our repertoire, I do believe we found more of a sense of ourselves and, and uh, a little bit more drama in the music and, and brought back in pieces of the sense of, uh, um, I don't know, expectation in music and, and journey through it.
0: So, um, just a little bit about the the recording of this track. Do you you remember where you recorded it?
1: This was recorded uh, at the school I was going to. uh, Ohad and I were both going to sound engineering school at the time. Mm -hmm. The Harris Institute of the Arts. (laughs) (laughs) um, And uh, we recorded it as a project Yeah, basically, uh, it was a student project, and we were the band in that case. We weren't the engineers for that one, although, of course, we were involved in it. But, um,
0: Do you remember what it was recorded onto?
1: Yeah, it was recorded onto three D88s, oh. synced through a couple of Mackie boards.
0: So, when I was listening to it, there's there's a little hiccup in the guitar. <laughs> Have you heard that? Yeah, it was like a little s- silent. And I was like... Uh,
1: yeah the hiccup in the guitar um i know what that is that was a dropout i think the line was loose or something like we we recorded the song we did three takes of it Uh
0: i was gonna ask that too and
1: uh that take was the best and there wasn't
0: any editing back then really not like now
1: no none. and there was no automation everybody was for the mixing it was a performance in itself because everybody was responsible for turning a certain knob at a certain time and every time i hear it the when the kick drum first comes in, I was supposed to have the reverb up and I didn't. So the first, I don't know, eight or ten <laughs> kick drums are dry. And then I slowly turn up the reverb on the kick drum because I hadn't reset it properly for that take.
0: And and was it played to a click track, do you think? No, definitely no. not. Because <laughs> I was like, when it, the drums come in, it's awesome because they're a <laughs> little like, he's like, where's my tempo? Just the, And then it's perfect yeah. almost but there's just at the beginning it wanders and but it's so good
1: it all adds to the innocence of it in a way I think.
0: yeah i was thinking that the other day that it's this kind of a there was limitations so much when back then in the 90s or mm-hmm. you know early 2000s when you were recording yeah do you, do you miss those days I ju-
1: i just got my Cam 388 fixed up and ready to go. It's in the garage. I want to do another recording because I totally miss that. I miss the uh, the kind of, um, um, what's the word? it's it, it, Having limitations um, inspires you to be more creative. Like it, you have to work around certain things. So you end up uh, being really inventive and in how to get all these ideas into eight tracks. Um, Now with Pro Tools, you just add and add and add and add and add. Clean up. Yeah, and then you can fix that little bit there. (laughs) And the first part was better, this one. But um, there was something about uh, the the earlier way of recording um, that was so much of a performance and you had to be so present. Whereas now it's more like sculpting, where you can sculpt and then you can step yeah. step back and look at it, and then you can turn it off and come back and it'll be exactly the same the next day. Um, whereas before, you really kind of had to get into the, the right state of mind, into the um, into the moment and and, and uh, live with your decisions.
0: Absolutely. I heard years ago, and this may not be right, okay. <laughs> that you used to be seriously into meditation.
1: Yes, that's true. Um, Yeah, I think, um, well, I did regular meditation retreats um, before, I guess, Do Makes I Think. This album was kind of just before I I did my first meditation retreat, um, where I do a month of meditation, basically 10 hours a day, every day for a month. Um, It was called a datin. Uh, I went to a meditation center in Vermont to do it, Uh, and it, uh, basically it was, um, you know, after the first couple days, you think, there's no way in hell I can do this, this is impossible, Uh, and then after a couple days, you think, you start to think, okay, I'm getting the hang of this, and then after a week, you've sort of your body has accepted the position a little bit more, and uh, your mind is a little bit uh, settled down. And then after a month, it seems like a perfectly good way to live. And the most um, shocking part of a meditation retreat is essentially coming back into ordinary life. It's like uh, you've been traveling on the highway with all these other cars, and uh, and then at the meditation retreat with all the other people, everybody slows down. There's a kind of general slowing down, and you don't notice it so much because everybody's slowing down together. And then when you get back into the city, the speed of everybody's mind is just frantic and and kind of heartbreaking in a way. It really is. uh, you see people sp- spinning off into eddies of their own thoughts and uh, and it's and it melts you a little bit um, and uh, so I yeah I did that I made it a point to do a meditation retreat every year and I did that for about 10 years I think um, sometime I was briefly I was a, a monk uh, although It sounds uh, greater than it really was. It was a a temporary uh, monastic retreat. So I did wear robes and shave my head and all that, but there was no pretense of me actually giving up um, ordinary life and uh, taking to the cloth. It was more like, try this on for a while. (laughs) Hmm.
0: So I think my final question to you would be, if you sit down and listen to this song, fair to get there. Is there one word or one feeling that you get that sums up this piece of music and what it meant to you and what it means to you now? Hmm.
1: I think there's a kind of gentle confidence that I get when I listen to that. There's a confidence in the music that that uh, that it just it feels right. It feels like we, even though there was mistakes and there was this and like there's you know flaws in the music if you were to look at it in a certain way. And another way, it felt um, and it feels um, the way we felt at the time gentle, but very, um, we really believed in ourselves and we hadn't, didn't believe in ourselves in the sense that we were going to make it. We didn't believe in ourselves in the sense that, uh, um, that there was any kind of arrogance to it. It was just a real gentle confidence. I think that's, that's the sense that I get from that piece of music is, and that's a kind of confidence that, uh, that I have access to now in my life but I don't always um, I don't always access that resource but uh, it's it was a discovery it was almost like an excavation like to to clear away a certain space the song and that time did it for me and now it's still there and I can go and I can appreciate it and I can I can appreciate a lot more music now because of what we went through. Um, my criticism of music has uh, uh, broadened an awful lot. I'm much more accepting of different uh, approaches to music, I think. Although I still dislike something. <laughs> no. Try not to, but... Uh, <laughs>